Hey, welcome family to my Irreligious Life podcast with your host, Jermaine Thomas, aka The Professor. Deconstructing and deconverting from your faith is a very difficult journey. The process can have psychological and emotional implications. Join us as we have a heartwarming and engaging dialogue around this and so much more. Let's get it, family. As the world around us hushes and the winter air bites, a season of hope and anticipation dawns upon us. Advent is supposed to be the scarce time preceding the joyous celebration of Christmas that invites us to pause, reflect, and prepare for the arrival of divine light into our lives. Amidst the twinkling lights, festive cheer, let us not forget the truth sense of Advent, a journey of spiritual renewal and transformation. It is a time to awaken our hearts to the profound message of love, hope, and salvation that Christmas embodies. Just as the shepherds of Bethlehem eagerly awaited the birth of Messiah, we too are called to embrace the spirit of anticipation. Let us open our hearts to the transformative power of Advent, allowing it to illuminate the darkness within and guide us towards the radiant light of Christ. Advent is not merely a season of festivities. It is a pilgrimage of the soul. It is a to cast aside the burdens of the world and embark on a quest for inner peace and spiritual enlightenment like the wise men who followed the star. Let us journey inward, seeking a divine spark within ourselves. As we light the advent candles, each flame symbolizing the virtue, hope, peace, joy, and love. Let us draw strength from their radiance. Let hope illuminate our path, guiding us through the darkness. Let peace soothe our souls common anxieties and worries. Let joy fill our hearts in dispelling any lingering sadness. And let love be our guide in life, leading us towards compassion, empathy, and understanding. Advent is a time to rediscover the childlike wonder within us. It is a time to approach the world with open hearts, curious minds, embracing the simple joys of life and finding beauty in the ordinary. As we gather with loved ones, let us cherish the moments of connection and shared laughter. Let us rekindle our bonds of love and friendship and creative memories that will forever warm our hearts. Advent is a season of giving, not just the material gifts, but also of our time, our attention, and our love. Let us reach out to those in need, offering a helping hand or a listening ear. Let us spread kindness and compassion, making the world a brighter place for us all. As we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, let us remember that the true of Advent lies not in the presence we receive, but in the love we give, the light we share. Let us carry the spirit of Advent throughout the year, illuminating our lives and the lives of those around us, the radiant hope of Christ's love. Together, let us embark on the Advent journey with open hearts and expected spirits, ready to receive the transformative power of Christ's love. May this season be a beacon of hope and a reminder that even in darkest of times, the light of Christ will always shine. Now all that sounds fucking great and inspiration. And believe me, I get all the love and light shit. But I just wanted this small disruption to remind us during this Advent season that not all can draw the same inspiration. I once asked, what do you do when God and Jesus has been weaponized or has become the symbol of abuse in a person's life? That at mentioning of Jesus or God can have an adverse response in a person's life, that the physical Bible itself is a trigger. As an African-American social worker, I'm glad that society at large is becoming more consciously aware about trauma, 
institutions being trauma-informed. However, some institutions, particularly our faith spaces, are falling short in the area of advocating for mental and emotional well-being of people in those settings, let alone trauma-informed enough to do so. Religious dualism and suspicion towards scientific institutions and evidence-based practices often places a barrier toward members being encouraged to seek adequate care, especially around mental health. Faithful church attendees in these settings, their behaviors or struggles is often characterized as their sin or flesh or demon problem, which might just be the result of adverse childhood experiences or trauma responses. The church setting is often so presented as a safe place, and for so many it is, but for so many others it has not been. And so unconsciously a person may start to unpack their shit every altar call. You know, the same person that visits the altar call over and over again. When in actuality, the help that they need the most may be mental health, then a lack of spiritual health. In these settings, faith in the impossible is paramount. And spiritual bypassing is often normalized behavior. Pastoral ministries and these types of faith spaces are often seen as the be all in their life. Big Mama will rather first check in, pass and have him to pray in the check-in with a primary care physician. The mindset often is, I got to get to church to get to God. The myth is often that demonic spirits could be hindering the person's prayers. So getting closer to church and around other believers and the pastor who is anointed by God, this will bring healing they need. Along with that belief is, this could be the night for their breakthrough. Not considering the other nights before, it was their lack of faith, or worse yet, they had unconfessed sin. At least, that was a part of my narrative. You know, the things we have to tell ourselves because it's never God or Jesus' fault or the man of God's fault. I didn't get my miracle, my deliverance, or my healing because of souls. I didn't sow enough money. You know, the hamster wheel of excuses that can go on forever. Listen, this is not a segment on church bashing. This is about raising awareness and encouraging further conversation about the psychosocial impact of high demand and controlling religion. This will be a four-part podcast series that I'm dedicating to the spirit of Advent season and shedding light on the emotional, psychological impact of fundamental religion and the impact it can have on a person's social well-being, particularly in the African-American context. And so before I continue, let's take a moment and let's take a deep breath you know, in and out. I want to give a trigger warning. The conversations we're going to have is important and necessary, and it's a necessary one to have. And then there's another conversation that you will walk away with, and it's okay to turn the series off um, if it's too much to listen to. I mean, maybe come back to listen to it, a small segments, or maybe, you know, don't listen at all, but your well-being is more important. Because there's a lot of things that we're going to talk about and converse, um, especially in our particular story that we're going to highlight today. But I want to start by giving these characteristics of high demand religion. Charismatic leadership. High demand religion are often led by charismatic figures who demand unquestioned obedience from their members. Information control. High demand religions often control the information that their members have access to. And this can make it difficult for members to leave the group or to even question its teachings. Information control. High demand religions often control the information that their members have access to. 
This can make it difficult for members to leave the group or to question its teachings. Thought control. High demand religions may use techniques such as brainwashing to control the members' thoughts and behaviors. Isolation. High demand religions often isolate their members from their families and friends, and this can make it difficult for members to get if they are being abused. Financial demands. High demand religions often demand a lot of money from their members, and this can lead to financial ruin for members in their families and not failing to mention labor exportation and financial exportation too. So we're going to look at a book by Cheryl Brown called Mafia Ministry, A Cry and Shame that highlights some of these characteristics in psychosocial impact that high demand religion can have upon a person. And I'll let Cheryl's introduction from her book speak for itself. Cheryl's story serves as a case study to this presentation. So tune in, take a seat, take a ride with me and, uh, and listen to this. Hi, my name is Cheryl Brown. And the reason I wrote Mafia Ministry, Crying Shame, is to share light on spiritual abuse by pastors and televangelists who preach one thing on TV yet live another type of lifestyle off the screen and pulpit. Mafia Ministry, Crying Shame, is a memoir based on true accounts of when I first came into the world of Christian ministry. I found hope in the prosperity teachings and started to wholeheartedly give all to the ministry, my heart, money, time, mind, body, and soul. The prosperity gospel was being taught to me heavily, and I was knee-deep devoted to such concepts as naming it, claiming it, sowing seeds of money, sacrificially giving, all while the pastors are styling and profiling. You can't even pay your bills because you constantly are pushed to give money. You better not dare ask them for help with anything. I was leaving a domestic violence relationship when I came into the church, and other abuses had taken place in my life as far back as I can remember. I was a very vulnerable and broken person, and I went on to work for one of the most famous televangelists in the world today by the name of Pastor Boone. Y'all gonna have to get the book. It's available on Amazon to get the name of this famous televangelist. The sister has receipts in her book to confirm and collaborate her story and her truth and what she alleges in her book about this particular famous televangelist. Listen, let's go to the excerpt, chapter six, called Excuse Me, Sir. Well, what can I say here? I was working for one of the most famous and wealthiest televangelists in the world. I was parked in the 76th gas station praying for enough nerve to ask a stranger for a few bucks for gas to get to work. I had left home about an hour ahead of my usual time this particular day with just enough gas to get to the service station. I knew I had to get to work because I could not afford to lose my position, especially with the shenanigans this pastor's wife was pulling. I sat in the car for a bit thinking that perhaps someone would think something was wrong with me and act, but no one ever did. Well, here I go. A woman around my age walked into the station and she looked like she wouldn't be alarmed if I approached her. Uh, excuse me, ma'am. Yes, I'm stranded. Can I please have a couple of dollars for gas, please? She reached in her purse and gave it to me. Thank you so much and may God bless you. Woo. That was so embarrassing. 
but I had $3 for gas to get to work and I was rolling, feeling like a loser and desperate. I started to actually toy with the idea of approaching the man himself and nerve wracking as it was. He knew that I was a single parent and maybe he would even remember the promise of money and the other job opportunity he told me about. But I had my doubts. Nah, I can't possibly go to him. He is much too busy and important for me. I shook my head and I made it on into work. Up to the parsonage that day was especially hard. My son needed a new pair of shoes and I was irritated and disturbed to have not gotten paid. I was even running low on basic necessities around my place. I just didn't know how much longer this could go on. To me, it was not just about money, but the principle of the situation. I was fluffing sofa pillows in the living room area when along came this passed away. And she started just talking about how the guy that was serving in as armor bearer was not worthy to be in his position. And that he was too young and too inexperienced to be his armor bearer. How she was about to make it known that she did not like him. She said that she wanted to get rid of him. And I was really disappointed in her judgment and lofty reason. It seems as though that the young man was doing a great job to me. Continue my duties after her whining sessions. And when I got off, I knew what I would not have enough gas to make it home. I went to a gas station during Data Point and asked a couple of people for help, but they declined. I left because I did not want to get in trouble. The last thing I needed was to be bust out and plastered in the town paper panhandling while working for ministries or worse, lose my job. So I went to Gail that I always went to shop for the house. They had a gas station nearby. There I went again. Excuse me, sir. Can you please help me so that I can have gas to get back home? Kindly, he did. I prayed that none of the security would see me panhandling up there as it was only a few minutes down the street. I made it home and picked up my son from my neighbors upstairs who were doctors. They were from Persia and they just loved my son. They were watching for me because they knew that I was on call and they would even take him into their office on a Saturday if they had to. I remember one time they came back home and they were so excited about an agency that handled child actors in my And while they were out in Orange County, this agency had seen my son and they were very interested. So I started the process to get my son involved. They were great people, always inviting us up for delicious dinners. And they were already doing so much to help me by watching my son. I would never want to ask them for money. When it was time for me to go to work again, I had to this handling all over again, and it got to be unbearably degraded. I remember one day I panhandled for money to get to work, and as soon as I walked in the door, this pastor's wife told me that I could go home. She had done this quite a few times, but it was especially frustrating this day. Didn't the properties know what I had to go through to get here today? She had just called me. I drove home on fumes, broke, busted, and disgusted. I went forward with my day and decided I was going to spend this Saturday with my son. Fun, regardless of the bad start. I went into the condo and got some snacks and went and grabbed him from upstairs and we walked to the park. We swung on the swings, played catch, and had a good time. He was smiling and happy. I looked down at his tattered shoes and we were at the park and reality hit again. But I was not going to let it rain on our parade. When we got home, he went to sleep. He looked so adorable. I cried a river of tears because all I ever wanted to do was to give him the world. And here I was not knowing what kind of mess I had gotten us into once again. 
I felt manipulated and deceived. When people are facing challenges in life, have already been dealt a heck of a hand. Nothing else makes you angrier than being penniless. That's a story, and uh, and that's only an excerpt, darling. There's there's more to tell, but listen, listen, my dear family, and, and those in Christianity, and to those who who've given rise to the nuns and done. I'm not a preacher or or a teacher. Uh, uh, at this juncture of the dialogue, let's imagine I'm not even a social worker. But yes, a fellow traveler on the path feeling. I too have experienced the pain, resentment, cycles of grief and the harm. I've excused away in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Unpacking religious trauma of being a cult-minded member of an African-American Christian cult. That's, that's, that's what I call it. Always striving to be here than the last time, naive, gullible. All in wanting to be pleasing God and pleasing other people. Always at war within myself, the blessed mercy spirit, you know, the fears of him. The first step on the path to is to unnormalize this shit. And what we were indoctrinated to normalize and, and interestingly with all the madness the lens perpetuated. I'm convinced fundamentalism is a breeding ground for people. So we must not be afraid to name the ways in which we manipulated, controlled, and exploited like Cheryl in her book. We must not be afraid to speak our truth even if it's difficult or painful. There must begin to be an understanding ongoing conversation on the impact that's had on us and the lives of those connected to us. Religious trauma from high demand Religion often leaves survivors with social deficits and difficulty trusting others and forming healthy relationships and making decisions for themselves. Persons may experience anxiety, depression, and post-traumatic stress disorder. But look here though, there's people like me and you and Cheryl who are having the conversation, so we're not alone. And there are many people who have taken to things like YouTube to talk their truth. Like Cheryl, she wrote a book, and for myself, I'm taking you on my irreligious life journey through the podcast media. If you have been drinking with me, then you know this is my healing journey as well. There are virtual communities springing up, and you can always find solace there. But there is a growing body of clinical research data behind the impact of high-demand religion, and there's a need for more. So please keep tracking with us, family, as well. Some recent data on religious trauma and look at some pure research study on religion as it pertains to African-Americans. And we will also continue with reading excerpts from Cheryl Brown's book, Market Ministry, Crying Shame. And I want to leave you all with this. The impact of high demand religions on the person's social well-being can vary. And we're going to cover some more of these. So y'all stay tuned and track with me. But listen to this. Social isolation. HDRs can also isolate members from the outside world, including family, friends who do not share their beliefs. This can lead to loneliness and a loss of social support. Pressure to conform. HDRs can put pressure on their members to conform to their beliefs and practices. And this can lead to a loss of personal autonomy and individuality. And you're going to hear some of that throughout this case study. So tune in, you all. And also, fear and guilt. HDRs may use fear and guilt to control members. And this can lead to anxiety, depression, and other mental health problems. So track with me. Stay tuned. Thank you for listening. God bless family.
Hey family, thank you for tuning in to my Irreligious Life podcast with your host, Jermaine Thomas, your go-to podcast for religious commentary and so much more. My Irreligious Life is a subsidiary of Black Bereans Media and hit us up for sponsorship opportunities, family. God bless.